Hey friends, last time we were talking about ways for you to jumpstart your mindfulness meditation practice, ways to get into a state of mind that can be very helpful in our anxious times that don't require perfect understanding of all the techniques of mindfulness and meditation. Those are things that you should definitely look into, but you don't need to get permission to meditate. You don't need to be an expert. Get started. Get going. There's a lot more dangerous stuff out there than maybe not doing it perfectly or not having your back perfectly aligned as you're sitting there. Maybe you just want to lay on your back and put on some music and get started being in your body and being uh, someone who's able to just taste a little bit of that presence in the world. Regardless, for today, we want to talk to you about one of the most amazing and helpful techniques that we've experienced, but one that you really need to understand a little bit more about before you jump right in, and that is the sensory deprivation float tank. We love floating in the float tank. This is where you're going in and you're floating in water that is right about the temperature of your body so you don't feel the water and it's filled with Epsom salts and so you do not sink. You are floating on a cloud. It is amazing. Some people don't want to start it because they're scared of it. We'll hopefully alleviate some of those fears, tell you what is helpful about it and how to use it best. We're talking about float tanks. Here we go. All right, Stacy. I always love new and exotic and exciting techniques and things. So when I heard that there was in Laguna Beach a float lounge, I jumped right on it. I loved it. I had so much fun. I wanted you to come along for the ride. What did you say? <laughs> I don't know, but for me, I know if I know me, I'm always like, "You try it and let me know how it goes," because I'm too afraid. You weren't going to jump right on. I think I must have done it five times before I convinced you to give it a try. What was what was maybe an apprehension? Um. So, okay. We've mentioned before, stillness is something that is what I need to overcome, and I'm better off for it. Well, or your your lack of stillness. You don't yeah. need to overcome stillness. You need to become okay with stillness. Yes. And so one of the things that, uh, you know, when you're at the float lounge, the concern I had was, you know, there's like... It's a lot of salt and a lot of salt water. So what if stuff gets in my ears? What if salt gets in my eyes? Uh, Was that actually something you were thinking about? Yeah, because my ears are very sensitive. Right. And so for like if I'm the only way I could, the only reason that I was able to be more comfortable with it is like I learned as a kid and I, so I still know how to now, but float. I know how to float. And so I'm, you know, I float in regular water, right? So what I needed to learn was relaxing and trusting that the way I float in this float lounge contraption is by letting every muscle relax and it's got you, but it took me a while to trust that it had me. Uh, and so that interesting. And when you're like, when you're stiff and you're not just like letting loose, 
then there's another like piece of it. Like it's more, you're, you're going to be all tensed up, right? Uh, you notice very quickly when you're in the float tank, whether your body's tensed yeah. and you wonder why it is, a, it is part of the joy the, <laughs> for me is to figure out like, well, what, why is that muscle doing that? Cause it doesn't need to do anything. Yeah. And what, um, so to get me into the tank, my concern was again, the ear thing, uh, the stillness, the darkness, like, can I, well, my other thing was, will I know it when it's the end? That was one of my big things is how do I know? Cause my fear would be like, you kind of lose all sense of time and stuff. And like, what if I, you know, it's trusting in the process that I will be properly like woken up and know when it's time to come out. So yeah. that was another piece that, you know, these fears that I had, irrational fears, uh, for the most part, but like just stuff that I was concerned about, uh, you're also like for an hour, hour and a half, depending on how long your session is, I mean, you're there with just you and complete silence. And yeah. that can be daunting as well to consider. Confronting, I forget which Tao Te Ching chapter it was, but it's, can you confront your true self? We said, I think, confronting others is courageous, mm -hmm. but confronting your true self is heroic. That is the hard part. Yeah. You know, um, well, and so, yeah. and so for me, um, when I finally did my first experience, I realized that I could get to a place where I would enjoy it, but I knew I needed another, I, I mean, I actually ultimately like it took me a, a couple, a few experiences to finally be able to like, okay, I now know what this is. And so now I can actually fully get the benefits of it. It, you know, for some people, it may not take as long to just sort of like relax into it. Uh, one of the things that I really struggled with was my neck. Um, when I'm there floating, like again, that, you know, I mentioned how, you know, just not trusting the water. Like I would say the hardest part that I have relaxing is relaxing my head. And so my neck takes a lot of strain when I'm using my neck to keep my head up unnecessarily. One of the things that you can use to kind of go to a couple of these fears real fast, if you're new, they have a little halo type foam thing that they you do. put behind your head and that kind of keeps your head from feeling like it's sinking back or moving. And then the other thing is... And I've never tried that. Um, you I don't want I don't anything. want it now. Yeah. I, I might have... It might have helped at first to ease me into it, but I... I don't, I don't need it and I don't want it now. You need to be naked floating in space. Yeah. That's the feeling. You're in the complete dark. You lose touch. Ultimately, if you're doing it right with where's up and where's down, yeah. you become a disembodied spirit in the void. That is why it's so powerful because in a certain sense, that's a, t that's a thing that you're trying to attain when mm -hmm. you're doing, you know, Zazen, you want to be able to feel that feeling, but how do they wake you up? Uh, well, couple things. There's different ways. Uh, sometimes it can be a light introduction of some music. Um, That's the way I had it at the last one. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you start hearing, um, the cleaning of the thing happening. Like it starts like bubbles and stuff will start to come. The filtration the system. Filtration. And sometimes maybe but they don't leave you in there is the point. No. And maybe a combination <laughs> of those, but another thing too was cause there's ways of accessing the tank from the other side. It's like not, it's like not the room. They're not in the room at all, but they can, access the tank to just kind of like do a 
beep, like little, little, little knock on the, the tank. And I've had that too. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's another piece of the, the tank from a different area, not in your room at all. Um, that was another piece to be honest, that made me, um, have a hard time at first with a float tank is I'm in this, I'm in this like locked room and I'm in this tank, but I'm also feeling very vulnerable. And so if the worker was a creeper or whatever, you know, and they're, yeah. not, you know, they're not, I have never had an issue of anybody, uh, in, but that, but Nor just, have you ever heard of it? No. There's I, other things like massage or yoga that, right. No, this is, right. this is but, your safe. But I am saying that just because of my own trauma and you know, like that was something I had to overcome was right. could I be in this space naked, completely like just trusting that this was a, a safe room and a safe space yeah. to be in to then let my, you know, essentially like senses and everything just kind of like just drop off. So I'm not worrying about my outside world, you know, what's interesting is a lot of people, I don't know if this was um, a thing for you, but a lot of people think that they don't want to go into it because they've heard all these horror stories about people being trapped in a sensory deprivation chamber. And so they're like, oh, you're going to go crazy. I've never, yeah, I've never yeah. that. I uh, never that was, felt that. That was a something from a long, no, no. Um, and then a lot of people think, oh, well, um, I'm, I'm wondering if this is going to, uh, you know, am I, am I going to be claustrophobic? Mm, yeah, claustrophobic. I'm not claustrophobic. So I wasn't worried about that, but that could be, I can imagine that that's somebody's real fear, except for the fact that once you finally can relax and get into it, uh, you have all of infinity <laughs> that you have access to in a certain sense. So it feels uh, way open and not um, actually, it feels expansive. Not Yeah. Not yeah. So I think, off. I think a lot of the things that people worry about other than the ear, the water can get in your ears if you don't have that dialed in right. But, um, but if you don't, uh, if you don't have any experience with it, you might think that it's scary and it, it, it does. Did you say expansive? Yeah, I think that's right. It doesn't feel claustrophobic. It feels like you're in an infinite, you're floating in space in the infinite universe. So and would, it's very cozy to me. It's like being wrapped up in a blanket. Yes. Yes. Cause it's of, being in the, it's being in the womb is what yeah, it is. Yeah. That's, that is, that's, that makes a lot of it's sense. It's very amniotic. Yes. And my mom died a few weeks ago Every time I go in, I think about the mother, the mysterious mm. mother. I mean, mm. it is always a very maternal kind of inward journey. Yeah. For the, and for those, okay. So let me just, can I just explain like really basically, um, when you, you go into this room, okay, yeah. uh, you disrobe and, uh, you, you rinse off and you take a, a like a rinse off shower, um, just to, you know, clean, get all the soaps off soaps you. You want to, you don't want to be bringing in some sudses. Yep. Uh, and then, then you you know, go into the tank. Now there are, they supply, um, often a place will supply the ear plugs and some are better than others. I would, I would recommend just so you're not relying on the place to provide the right kind for you. I just buy a cheap pack of those like wax ear plug things. Um, and then, uh, the other thing I recommend is put them in while your ears are dry before you take your shower, get your earplugs all situated so that you're not putting the wax in a wet ear because then it also doesn't form that seal the way right. that it, um, so I found I have the best results with, with my dry skin, getting the ear wax stuff all in there. 
then taking my shower. Um, and I often find that if I do that and I've got it all situated and I leave my earplugs alone, I never have water leakage. Uh, when I'm, when I start to like toy around with them, I'm not trusting them or something, um, is when maybe a little bit of salt water has, you know, come in. Um, and I can find it more or less annoying if I've allowed it to be a distraction. I've never, I never ended up getting an ear infection or anything from, uh, a float lounge experience, uh, even when I have gotten some of the salt water in my ears. Uh, so just FYI, like that's just was my experience, but I definitely, um, I definitely learned though that dry skin with your earplugs is a better connection than trying to put them in after you shower. And also I go ahead and take my towel and dry off my, my face Yes, uh, as well uh, before I get into the float tank. Yes, because if you have the water that's on your face, then the salt can kind of flow up into your eye. So you want to have that dry dryness so that there is no river yeah. of saline. And then no matter what itch you have, no matter what happens, if you don't itch just your face. don't touch it, you won't get the salt water in your eyes. That's part of the game. Part of the game of meditation is to be able to observe that itch without itching it. It's, I, and once you do, there's actually a real, that's a real win. That's a joy. Now, just so you know, this was invented in 1954 by John C. Lilly. John C. Lilly was a physician. He's a doctor. He's a neuroscientist, psychoanalyst, psychonaut. That is, he, you know, got into the psychedelics with some friends, philosopher and inventor, and, you know, he's kind of hanging with folks like Timothy Leary and Ram Dass. So, like, is that kind of zone? I don't think you need to join that kind of aesthetic to appreciate this. This technology, I think you try it. If you don't like it, fine. But for me, it, it sells itself. Yeah. I am kind of bummed that it's associated with alternative medicine. Mm. It's certainly alternative medicine adjacent, right? People that appreciate these things are going to definitely appreciate the float tank. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you should lump it in there. I mean, people, if you go to Wikipedia, it's it's kind of listed alongside fringe medicine and science, like esoteric energy and chromotherapy and colon cleansing, you know, high colonics, Christian science. It's listening it with all this stuff. And like, listen, I suppose if you are telling people it's going to cure a disease, <laughs> then that would be a pseudoscience kind of move or well, unless the, the disease is your monkey brain, yeah. rat race mind. <laughs> right, right. So I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, over the years in its history, people have exaggerated the claims of, you know, what it could, could cure. Is it going to cure hypertension, diabetes? I look, I don't know. Is it going to give you Here's the, here's the pitch I would make to you. It is eight hours of meditation crammed into an hour, though I highly recommend having 90 minutes. But basically, it is a, it is a super wallop of all of the good things about meditation for people that may not be ready to go with that. Hmm. That said, when I, when I got into it this week, I, again, hadn't done it in about a year and a half and even though I'd spent a lot of time floating in California, we first got into it. Well, we, we, got, we, we got into it in like uh, Southern California, mm -hmm. but we've been in different cities and, and I've hit it. But again, to catch you up, friends, if you didn't listen to the last episode, when we came to Portland, we were sad, lost our son. We were moving to a new place. I had scuttled my career in, 
in uh, Christian higher ed and now was kind of trying to start my life over. And the owner of the, the float shop in Portland, Sandra Calm, heard about her story and gave uh, a pass, basically gave a code to be able to have some free float. And I didn't take it because I was afraid to do it uh, because I was afraid to receive a gift. I, I just, I'm uncomfortable getting gifts. And I figured, how can I relax if I'm feeling like I'm taking this expensive thing and not paying for it and I have nothing to exchange for it right now? So I, Isn't that also a true the, gift? Oh, it's totally a true gift, yeah. <laughs> but when I finally true. was able to do it, I needed, I had no choice. I was so beat down by the time I took this opportunity a couple days ago. And then when I had it, it was one of the most profound experiences. And so Sandra Calm, amazing name for a person who runs a float shop, right? Sandra Calm. Um, but, uh, but just a wonderful place. I'll tell you more about it in a moment. But uh, that's kind of why we're talking about this, because having had meditated, this is the key, though, Mm -hmm. having meditated really well, and I'm saying like not I'm doing a good job, but but I'm consistent and I'm doing it every day. By the time I got to the float lounge, when I when I got to the float shop here in Portland, I was able to slide right into that mental space. And so I maximized that experience and it was profound. Yeah. Like, and I've done it many, many times. I've tried to make it profound and this one just kind of snuck up on me and it was, it was very profound. I was just saying that we were, uh, exploring some of the float lounges in, in California, especially because they were running some specials. So we got incredibly good deal to get yeah. like a package of 10 of them or something like that at like almost like 25 or 20 bucks a piece or something. And yeah, was, sometimes, you know. especially, and then during COVID, maybe people were coming and going. But so, yeah, sometimes, especially when a float shop will start to open up in your town, they might run some specials to try to get people buzzing about mm-hmm. it. So that, and that's what, you know, we, that's where we got, I would say, the ability to experience it multiple times and then finally get comfortable with it. Uh, yeah, you know, doing it is, once and then the next week is really a good move. Yeah, and I would also say, too, maybe, you know, if you ever are thinking of, you, you get options of the maybe the hour is one price and an hour and a half is the other. Maybe your first time, just pay the cheaper price of the hour, just get comfortable with it and then experience it and then be ready then for the hour and a half the next time. And I will, or, you know, or maybe you want the extra hour and a half at first so that you have the first half an hour to get comfortable and then the other hour. It just depends on your personality. I was surprised to find when they introduced it yesterday that that the person was saying uh, that checked us in, and showed us around me and the other uh, patron that was there, and and she was new. She said, "Well, a lot of times people get, you know, they get the ninety minutes." I love the fact that this particular place has ninety minutes as standard. I, I just think that by the time you get settled in, a, an hour is not enough. But you can always pop out early. And so she said, "A lot of people pop out early." Me, this is like Disneyland candy canes. Yeah. I'm not giving. I mean, well, I don't like candy canes, but you know what I'm saying. I, I, I there's nothing but joy in this, so I'm not getting out. But, um, but I, I really do believe ultimately almost nobody does it. I think it's a three hour thing. I think that to me, the real benefit would be sleeping overnight in one. I mean, just really going deep where you don't have to worry about getting out Mm -hmm. ever and you can get out when you need to. Mm -hmm. That to me is the big one is otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm up in my head and that was my, that was the only downside on this particular experience was I got to a place of such ecstasy and bliss floating in the infinite cosmos and feeling my breath and 
all I could hear is my heartbeat and my breath coming in and out and just floating as a consciousness in, in space. It was amazing. So like, that's why I'm saying, I don't care if Wikipedia wants to list it with uh, alternative medicine. It's, I'm not trying to get rid of my gout. <laughs> I'm trying to get enough peace in my life so I don't drink so much that I get gout as a, as an illustration. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It, it is, I'm curious, by though, definition, an effective technique for me. You know, by, or by directly apparent. I am curious by labeling it as a type of medicine if you can get certain things to cover it more or more likely. Uh, because, maybe that's what it's about. Because yeah. otherwise, it looks like you know bougie fun. You know, uh, this <laughs> it's like getting your nails done. It's so bougie, and that's what I felt. And that's and when I was lying in there, and that's part of it. I felt like I don't deserve this. I am not, my budget cannot accommodate this kind of thing. I felt like Anthony Bourdain would sometimes do this. He would go to a restaurant. They'd show him some restaurant in some part of the the world that was really, really expensive. And he just felt guilty about how like bougie and expensive it was. Mm-hmm. And I kind of partly felt that. And then I said to myself, and this is what I want to, and this is why I wanted to do the show while I was lying there. I said, I want to talk to the listeners about the beauty of this experience first so that the dear listeners to this podcast will do themselves a favor. And if you can at all afford it, or you can afford it to somebody who's got a lot of stress in their lives, give yourself this gift. You can, you know, request a a gift certificate or something from a family member that wants to give you a present or give the gift of it to somebody else. But the second thing that I'm really interested in, and I don't have the energy to even sometimes do my emails and get out and start my actual day. So I'm not really ready to start a nonprofit fund or something. But if you are, reach out to me because I desperately would love to see a way of getting networks together to give kids who don't have a lot of money, who have had trauma, this opportunity. You know, I don't know. I got to research like how young is good for people. I think anybody could do it, but I'm talking about uh, you know, maybe late high school, early college, kids that have been through some trauma that don't have a lot of money. I realized like this is exactly what I needed. And I, as a dude with a doctorate and kind of some networks that can help me, I'm feeling like this is too expensive for me. How could I ever recommend this for the kid, the kids across the street here that are like playing? I, I want them. I mean, I'm not saying that I need to throw like children into the, the Epsom salt. I'm saying like, I want them if they need it, if they could use it, you know, PTSD, ADHD, depression, whatever. I don't know. But I am, I am curious to see if anybody would be interested in helping just get a fund together. Uh, and, and what I would like to do is find a way to get a partnership between people who can help fund something like this for kids who have experienced trauma or anxiety um, and uh, then work with local float operations to be able to carve out maybe some early morning stuff so that, you know, you can have special programs for kids uh, in, in schools or whatever. I'd also imagine like coming up with, I'd also imagine that coming up with, I mean, I I see what yoga can do in in a very similar way. They do have that sometimes like, you know, peace in schools, meditation and yoga in schools. And the reason I, I bring up something like that is just because how do you, if you develop a practice and you can able, you're able to continue it when you find it that has healing effects. Yeah. The hard part is with like a float lounge situation, as I see that it could be like 
you can, you know, you're only able to ever be there if you have, you know, continued funds or, you know, to keep access to it. Well, that's why when I was thinking about it is I would say you certainly, I can't find a way to fund somebody's whole lifestyle with it. But if there was a therapeutic value in kind of coming to terms with your own embodiment and finding that yeah. peace over maybe a, a six six session mm. mm-hmm. flow. Mm-hmm. So in other words, like over a semester or something, could you get, you know, kids go to PE, yeah. Sometimes kids get on a bus and go to the local like like swimming the like Olympic sized swimming pool to do be on the swim team. Could you get some kids that could really use it out to an unused float tank and you make sure they don't pee in it? <laughs> I don't know how you do it. No, I don't know. It's just anyway, it's just like something at the formative stages. So if this is just like something you say, hey wait, that sounds interesting. I don't know. Just shoot me a note. Cause I, I, I really do want to find a way to connect, even if it's not float technology, but just some, some technologies that are cost prohibitive, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and even there, not just having kids do yoga in the school gym, but be able to go to some of these boutiques, uh, that do the yoga that people don't have access to. I think that's, that's the big paradox that by the time you can afford the float tank and the yoga subscription, mm-hmm. You don't need it as much as you did when you don't have the time or the money to do it. And so that's that's, that's the catch-22 of it all. And that's kind of what I, I would love to find a way to rectify. In any case, um, when you go to this, there's a couple things that, that you might be concerned about. And that is just kind of the, the actual safety. And you got to research each of the different places. So one of the places we've been had really invested in the uh, ultraviolet, I think it was, technology to zap any microbes Mm, mm -hmm. because what I didn't understand was they don't flush the whole thing out and start it over. So you do, you know, use it for multiple people. Now you've got the Epsom salt in there. Like if you can go in a jacuzzi, this is cleaner than a jacuzzi, Mm -hmm. but it is, you know, you're in a, like in a liquid. So people are concerned about it. They filter it. But uh, if you're really concerned about it, find a place that does use that, that extra, you know, infrared technology, but they'll, they'll filter it. And feel free, to, if you want to feel comfortable, if it's the kind of thing you care about, check in on the different opportunities, the places in your area, do you trust them? Because there's some places, to be honest, that are really groovy, kind of meditative type places. And then there have been some people that probably got into it because of Joe Rogan and they're into MMA and they're kind of using it as a... As a it's a business. A, a business idea that they're going to exploit yeah. bougie people that are into new age stuff. Yeah. And I think that's maybe why they also listed it as, you know, as a fringe science thing. No, everybody needs one of these in their house if we could afford it. <laughs> Not in their house, but we need to get these as like a, a way to heal in this in this madness of the world that we're living in. I think more people need access to it. It shouldn't be that difficult to access. But, you know, there is there is a cost to it. You got to roll through the Epsom salts because what it is, you put like hundreds of pounds of Epsom salt in the water and you float like you're on the Dead Sea or the Salton Sea or the Dead Sea. I don't know what sea yeah. is. <laughs> well, you can float, right? Um, and, um, and, but the idea is that you're, you're able to kind of, uh, you put your, your, you're on your back mm-hmm. and I like my arms out and you just kind of vulnerable and open to the universe. But as I said, the, the, the temperature is supposed to be such that you don't notice it. And you, it's so dark that there's no light. You can open your eyes. And for me, the kind of the holy grail is to be able to start hearing those voices and, and thinking things and seeing things that you do in that zone between sleep and wakefulness. You know when you start to, like, 
I don't know. I, more happened than when I was when I was a kid, where you hear like your mom's voice start just audibly talking to you mm-hmm. as you're falling asleep. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that I look for, where it's like I'm able to kind of access what's going on in my mind. Yeah, you know, and hearing those things, and and um, I remember, you know, really kind of being able to process the loss of my mom in that kind of maternal womb-like space. Mm-hmm. So when you finally got around to doing it, the first couple times. When you came out, I came out and I said, oh, who, who am I to have deserved this? And I thought, I'm so excited that Stacy got to experience exactly what I experienced. And you came out and you're irritated. I, my earplugs weren't situated. I got stuff in my ears. I was like fidgety. I couldn't relax. Uh, I, was just, I was just too in my own head, I guess, to have fully taken advantage of it. So I just, like I said, I, need, uh, I needed more experience with it to... Uh, trust it and then to be able to embrace it and, and actually take care of it or, or get to the point where it had the healing aspects of it. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm slower at coming around to things. I hap- I tend to be more distrustful of things. Yes. Uh, I tend to be uh, more fidgety and, you know, like. And irritated by new uh, senses. Yeah. Like I can get overstimulated easily. Yeah. So even in a sense, you're overstimulated by <laughs> the, lack, the of lack of stimulation. Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Which, um, but it's just, for me, it's also scary to just go into new experiences where I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what I'm supposed right. to do. And it, it becomes like, Oh, what if I do the wrong thing? And you know, I'm not doing it right. Or I don't know when to come all those things. Like it was just the anxiety mm. and the fears that I had, as well as the fact that one of the things that I need to overcome is the ability to be still. And I was, you know, literally getting at like one of the main things that I have a yeah, difficult time you're, doing. You're fighting that. So I, I just needed, so I was talking about how I needed time to yep. like, I, I needed the, the stillness and stuff. Um, over time though, I, eventually became comfortable. I knew the routine. I knew how to, you know, sort of calm myself. I was able, one of the things to, for me is like to just sort of like focus on my breath and breathing and like kind of even just like notice how I'm breathing. And then I was learning to relax my body, relax my neck. That's the hardest piece of it for me. Um, Cause I do, it starts to hurt if, you know, if I'm too tense. And so, uh, just learning to relax that. And then once, once you finally, when I can finally like relax everything, um, and it's, I don't know, you go to amazing places. I, one of the time I met my inner child, you know, Mm. I can talk about that some other time on another show, but it was a very powerful experience, uh, that, uh, I helped process through, um, a lot of things about my childhood and myself and, you know, and, and part of, you know, it was, it was a portion of my shadow self that I really did, you know, it was good for me to kind of come to terms with and, and meet and acknowledge, you know? Yeah. I think in that way, if you want to have what people get out of a psychedelic experience and you're not interested for legal or psychological or just personal reasons to try plant medicine to get you to that, you know, light speed version of the meditative state. This is pretty close to that. And in many ways can be more powerful because you're, 
you know, not being distracted by other weird things going on. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful things for me is like when I'm in that kind of space or whatever, there'll be times where like my mind, I'll go like into an area, say like maybe even first, you know, the first time, like I sort of like, like I said, meeting my inner child, I might be like, Oh no, 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 I don't want to go there. And like, I put up a wall and then, you know, go to another area. And I will say that, that I found the most profound things is when I don't put up those walls, but I also think that sometimes those walls are necessary because sometimes we're not ready to process through certain aspects of ourselves or our lives or our traumas or whatever. Uh, and that the fact that you can be in a, you know, the complete driver's seat and then be like, no, I'm not going to go there right now. I'm not ready for that. And I think that's being empowered to, um, sort of help, guide your own experience is good. Uh, the more open you are to whatever sh- is showing itself, I think the more profound the experience uh, can be. Uh, but I'm just throwing that out there that yeah. I, I have done both where I've embraced and I've also been, no, I'm not ready for that. I can't. Mm-hmm. There was, there was that one time where there was a, at least you know, like you saw like a gold cord or something drop. Yeah. Around. So I was, that, that was a weird one. I, um, it was the, it was definitely the, so the strongest, weirdest vis- visualization of anything bizarre that I've ever really seen was, as I mentioned on the last show, the coyote shapeshifter mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Mojave Desert. Again, I'm not saying it was real, but that's just the phenomenon. And then the second most powerful was, um, and really the only real ones with this kind of vividness to it, was when I was in the float tank, had my eyes open, and I saw this golden rope dropped down out of heaven and, and it's, you know, there's a voice that said like, you know, grab hold of the rope and take, and take the teaching. And at this point, this was the, like one of the first times I'd ever done this. And it was when I was still really in the midst of teaching philosophy and religion within a pretty conservative church related university setting. I've never been, the full believer in the fundamentalist stuff, but that's my world, you know? So like I'm trying to navigate that world and I don't really have either the, I don't have the space to allow this revelation because if I change my mind, heck, if I'm, I'm living in a world where if I become Roman Catholic, I'm done. Mm. (laughs) If I became a Quaker, I'm done. Like I don't get to have any modification of where I'm at. You know, I mean, ultimately I'm in a situation where if I don't believe what they believe about Holy Communion, I'm kind of done, you know, so I don't have any opportunity to expand my spiritual horizons or my perceptions or whatever. So I said, no, I said, the like I said to the voice, I said, the last time you gave this, whatever it is you're trying to give to somebody, they end up getting killed all the time mm-hmm. and I'm not interested in dying. I, so I actually, re- I, I had the mo- I had like basically this invitation to some deep vision and I turned it down because partly from our childhood, like that's the devil. Yeah. That's not the holy. Well, it's going to go against everything that you are currently at your ideologies at all your, yes. your belief system. Are you willing your to shake view, it up? Your worldview can be completely shattered. And let me tell you now in retrospect if I went back to that time and then I could go to myself now, I would say two things. One, get busy being free immediately. 
Don't wait around. Go. Now. Do it. Take the leap. Do, do whatever you got to do to, to e- expand your perceptions. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I would also say at the time, I can't do it because I don't think I even realized at the time, if I look at a chart, like there's this graph I could have where I have like a bell curve, not a bell curve. I have like a, a hockey stick. I have an exponential boost up into space of freedom and, and a sense of okayness. And also an extraordinary sense of, of anxiety and fear because the freedom was great. But with freedom comes the fact that you're kind of like, all right, go, little bird, go fly. It's a scary world out there. So having, having like a, a strong state and having a strong religious organization and hierarchy, there, there's a value to that. It's like safety. Feel safer. Yeah. And and not having that is frightening. So well, at the time, you, I, a, I, I you had, have to start over with a completely clean slate. Then, yeah, of everything you thought you knew about the world and the afterlife and yeah, how God is and functions. If I took and that rope, if I took that rope, it doesn't even matter if that rope was real. If I was allowing my brain to entertain other ways of thinking about existence and spirituality, it was it was going to disrupt. The status quo. The status quo and my salary. Yeah. And to be honest. And your retirement. <laughs> one of the reasons I don't get to go back to the float lounge is because I don't have enough of a salary. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. it all kind of floats back around. It's like I only was able to find liberation by having enough money and having the kind of job where I had a sabbatical where we could drive around in a truck camper for a few months. Yeah. Like that's a privilege thing. Yeah, 100%. And so I had to have the privilege to be able to see that I was in bondage. Mm-hmm. But then in getting free of the bondage, now I'm still in the uh, capitalist system where I'm like, I cannot be totally free. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like there's dudes and gals that have the bougie experience where they get to have that freedom at a spa. They're going to go to a spa or they're going to have, you know, access to their own basement float chamber. Yeah. And they will be at peace and blissed out, you know, where other people are like cleaning out toilets. Mm. It's a paradox of the thing. There's no doubt about it. And it just reminds me, I mean, I know it's kind of dated at this point, but matrix, right. And you want to take the pill or not the red pill or the blue pill. And do you want to know, you know what this is, or do you want to just go back and go back into your own world and you'll never know. And you'll never, you know, you can just, I think even if you're not willing to open your mind to the fact that you're doing it wrong, (laughs) you can still appreciate the float tank. Right, you can get into that mindfulness. Yeah. You're good. You don't, you don't have, have to have visions. Do, you don't have to not do everybody big has inner work. <laughs> not everybody has visions. It's not. You can just be still. But I will tell you, going back to the other thing, if you're not willing to dissolve all the things that you have accumulated to prop up your ego and your sense of peace, or not peace, but more like safety, then definitely don't do plant medicine. Yeah. Don't do psychedelics. Right. Don't have your don't have your illusion shattered if you are not willing to start over and have them shattered. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause like I always thought it was interesting. Like I remember hearing somebody had done, um, peyote and they realized they needed to get a divorce. And I thought, well, no, like that seems weird because isn't the mystical experience like increase your love, but it also helps you to perceive the boundaries that are being crossed or when something's unhealthy. Yeah. So if you're not willing to see something's being unhealthy, then don't meditate. <laughs> if you don't want to get well, I mean, remember Jesus sees this dude, there's this one story where Jesus sees this dude at this pool 
and he and this guy's all kind of grumpy and he's like sick or you know and got a chronic issue and Jesus says do you want to get well and he's of course I want to get well he's mad about the question but it's a really important question do mm-hmm. you want to get well yeah no that's, it, it is it's kick, a huge kicking and screaming against thing. it sometimes the other thing I will say is that one of the one of the ways that I was ever able to sort of think about things differently or you know or explore um I don't know some of these some of these things is like if just because you're entertaining the possibility that some of these things you need to adjust your thinking on doesn't mean that when you're exploring something and it doesn't feel right and it doesn't ring true that you can't have that other piece back. In yeah. other words, you can say no you can, to the thoughts. But you also just follow what is true Beautiful, beautiful and good and good. <laughs> yeah, and right. when you start to go down a path and it's not feeling good, true or beautiful, say no, back up yeah. and redirect and then keep exploring, you know, that there might be some pieces of it that you, you, you explore and, you know, you see something with other things that you're like, nah, I don't need, you know, I don't need to throw this into the mix or whatever. Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe for some people too, like even with the in, the incense or something because of an experience or whatever, maybe right. they don't find comfort in, in incense or, or smells or whatever. You just all, yeah. whatever it is, listen to your body and is it, is it true? Is it beautiful? Is it good? I remember, if not, yeah. slowly either run or tiptoe out of that space or that room and get back to, uh, you know, beautiful ground again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that is very different now <clears throat> from when I was an evangelical teenager is that, um, even the concept of like, a of a evil spirit in the room, uh, that would have just terrified me. I don't, um, would say like, even at a psychic level, you mythological level, however you want to say it. Yeah. You don't want to like be cool with that that malevolent presence, mm-hmm. but instead of running from it or putting the, the covers over your head, I have found that the greatest thing is to stare, to stare the evil down. Yeah. Even at our archetypal level, a symbolic level, stare it down instead of running from it. Running from it. And I think that there was a way that evangelicalism in, like made the devil stronger. Oh, it did. And yeah. you're always running from it. And so it's, it owns you because all you're doing is doing, you're not facing it. You're not seeing what that is. You're not defining it. You are literally just trying to avoid it. And I mean, that's all you will end up doing is using all of your energy Mm -hmm. running from something instead of running towards something. And then if something gets in your way, you stare it down and tell it what you found. I mean, like, that's why I think one of the fun things that Augie came up with was this uh, graphic uh, and this cartoon character called Dumb Satan. Mm-hmm. So he had this like little kind of con- cartoon universe he was creating. And one of the characters was, was going to be dumb Satan mm-hmm. and dumb Satan's like a goat, of course, <laughs> you know, but like not the most like powerful malevolent force, just like another character cast the characters in the, in the universe. And, and then he had this, this poster that he made that says dumb Satan, you know, not what you do. So there's this kind of sense in which, you know, he was kind of channeling the uh, the kind of mysticism of, um, uh, who was that guy? Who was that guy? 
Uh, there's one of the saints that says, you know, like the right mystic attitude is to have compassion and, and love for the poor demons who yeah. <laughs> are like totally caught up in their own silliness, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would also say, I mean, you, um, you know, you start going down some of these like meditative paths or in, you know, healing and, and things like that. And I will say that there are, there are things that you will shed. There are things that will die yeah, for a lack work. of a better word. Yeah. And, you know, as you say, you know, die before you die. I you didn't invent that. Well, not, I know you didn't invent it. I mean, yes. as you often quote. Yes. Uh, which the quote came from where? Well, it's interesting, but it is on the uh, monastery, above the door of a monastery at Mount Athos. Uh, yeah. What was the line again? Uh, if you die before you die, you don't have to die. Or that's the idea of it. Yeah. And, I, and, we, and we, we inserted that. It, it, we didn't insert it, insert it, but we used that language in our rendering of the Tao Te Ching precisely because we think it's, a, it's such an important point of all mysticism. Well, and, and it is in that, here's one thing too, as you mentioned, kind of bring it back around to the part of you saying when you were at the float lounge experience, you were so like a, afraid, if you will, or didn't want it to end. And so yes, you were this is the last time I was having such a wonderful. You were lamenting yeah. that the time was going to come, and you had to, you know, stop that experience. Uh, but when you gave yourself permission to say, "Okay, I'm just going to be present, though. I'm here now. I can enjoy yeah. this, right? And and not worry about when it's going to end." And that made me, you know, it reminded me a couple things. One of you know, I know there's times when you know we went and had visited family or have had, you know, really fun vacations. And there's that temptation for other relatives or even ourselves to be like lamenting, you know, the end uh, of that experience, even before, like while you're in the middle of it, or, you know, or, or as you, you know, you might lose the last day or two of that experience because you're, you know, you're lamenting the end piece of it. Mm-hmm. And in that point, I mean, it already did die as soon as you are moving into the lamenting of it. You're no longer in the present experiencing it. You're just now living almost like in the past of it while you're in it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're you're grieving it. Yeah. You've jumped so far into the future that you're grieving the loss of the thing that you're in the midst of right at that moment. And I would say that I, you know, I kind of, you know, and thinking about that and thinking that through, and that made me, you know, sort of think of every life experience even, you know, the experience that we had with our dear son, Augie, because I, I can lament, you know, all the times that we don't have, um, but I am so grateful that we had that time. Mm-hmm. And that we have that present memory. Yes. And that, you know, he, yeah, he's very much a part of us. I couldn't imagine a world of, you know, not have ever experiencing him and having, you know, him with us. And yet that relationship one way or another, our own beings, ourselves, one day we will die. Everything will go away. Everything has an end. We're in a, Mm. we're in a finite situation here on this earth. And so all of the things that we do experience, um, do come to an end in our bodily existence here, at least, Mm -hmm. uh, in this, in this world, in this plane of existence, <laughs> this part of it, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, our embodied part of it. Um, and when you can 
move beyond the lamenting of what you don't have and just keep accepting and enjoying the experiences that you do have right at that moment. And like, that's where, I mean, that's, that's really kind of the work that I'm doing with, with people in the death doula, you know, um, piece of it, of trying to not, you know, not live in just this state of basically not facing reality. Yeah. Whatever, whatever this existence, whatever this life is, wherever this moment is that you're in, no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how much suffering, no matter how much joy, all of it. I mean, it's all part of the human experience. I love how you said joy too, because when you're happy, you're sad that you're going to lose it. And when you're and when you're sad, you're sad that you don't have it. Right. You're like you never. You can always live in that space. Yep. Yep. And never fully embrace the exact moment that you're in. If you're in pain, it'll get better. If you're, you know, (laughs) I mean, they will say. If you're doing great, you're gonna get an ache someday. Right. And so that there's a there's a dadaging chapter that you know refers to that too, like the fortune brings misfortune and misfortune brings like that idea of it but it's like you're there's always going to be the reverse otherwise fortune and misfortune don't exist joy and pain don't exist unless there's a, a space that doesn't contain either one of those coming to terms with where we're at fighting against reality is where we suffer so friends thank you so much for being with us We, on the last episode, we're talking about some tips for you to consider ways to get into a meditative state, even if you can't afford to go all the time. Again, I want to recommend that you check out a float tank so that you can at least experience what that is, and then you can try to go back to that same mental state without maybe the the warm water and the Epsom salts. For next episode, I'm really hoping that you will join us again so that you can hear me kind of interview Stacy a little bit more about what the death doula work is and what are the insights that every single one of us can can gain, whether or not we're terminally ill right now or we know it, right? Mm-hmm. What are those things that you do? Because you've worked with, with you know, sophomores in, in in college. Mm -hmm. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, uh, that you would think about what a death doula does, but we'll talk more about that on the next episode until then. Peace upon peace. Thank you so much friends for joining us for this episode of the protect your noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.